0: Thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word, we're grateful for our opportunities every time we have to talk with one another, to, or whether we sit down or walk about the way, we'd ask that we would be always putting your word before us in ways that we would understand this life. In your son's name, amen. I think what I just prayed, sort of inadvertent, that we understand this life, sort of a uh, an aspect of being that what you understand becomes your life. And when we talk about it as Christian Christians, um, we talk about it in terms of faith. Right? You're looking here at Romans 1, and it's announcing uh, the theme of the book, stressing faith. And I think we as Christians sometimes forget that it's saying something very obviously true about all of us in everything we do. And the choice is not between faith and no faith what are the, what's the content of your faith it's, it comes down to that so we, I, there's a few things I, there's a lot of good in Romans 1 we don't get to the really good part after verse 18 we stop at verse 17 this morning um and most people turn to Romans 1 for the 18 and following passage you know that his in, infinite power and deity are clearly perceived in the things that have been made um Therefore, there without excuse, we see the state of the age in Rome was just as awful as it is now. But this first part, he is announcing to his Christian friends that he does not know, has not visited Rome. And he just says a bunch of things that are we generally push to the side as just Christianese. This is kind of how you introduce a book. Dear so-and-so, you write, dear who would you write? Uh, Alex has been writing the Transformers um, Marvel or whatever who's in charge of the, and it? and you would say, dear so and so even if they weren't dear could we throw those words in, right? Uh, Sincerely or love so and so at the end and if somebody ever asks you, do you really think that person is dear to you? Well no, but it's just polite And sometimes we look at how uh, the letters, like Romans, open up and we just sort of shove it into that category. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh and designated son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Semicolon to all of God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a sentence. One sentence. (coughs) But it was an introduction. It was saying, uh, uh, flamboyantly perhaps, how the Magna Carta begins. Uh, John, by the grace of God, king of England and Normandy, blah, blah, blah. You throw all the the heavy claims that you want to make, Paul's making them. And it's Pauline to not be able to constrain himself when he puts something into a sentence to give you another, another little clause onto that to add to the meaning. He does that there with the gospel concerning his son, who is the of David, according to the flesh, designated the son of God in power. It, it, it keeps building on itself, but it says a bunch of wonderful things about the faith. You recognize them all. You're a Christian. You hold to these truths. But sometimes because we were, you view words like faith, Son of God, Jesus Christ, love, in certain ways, we have certain categories, boxes we put them in, that we stop thinking about them. But here, if I if I break apart the sentence, Paul is claiming to the uh, the saints in Rome to be a servant of Jesus Christ that has received the grace of God. Verse five, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. That's sort of the center piece of the sentence. He says, we are here to bring about obedience, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name to you who are called to be the saints. So there's an agreement that the person writing the letter is to bring about the obedience of faith, and the people receiving the letter are called to be those obedient saints uh, in, in the faith. Set apart, called to be saints. Now, that's what I wanted to... That's why they're in bold, those two phrases. To bring about the obedience of faith. Now, that's a a strange phrase. The obedience of faith. What does that mean? That I can say I'm conquering Central Asia. If you ever... I was looking up some stuff on Hussars. You know, Hussar, a type of cavalry unit, and the Hungarian Hussars, who uh, kind of put them on the map as a as a quality troop. They were. You see paintings of these guys. You go. That can't be real, and it was. Um, but they would. They had wings. Huge like eagle wings off the back of their armor uh, or mounted in their saddles and, uh, and you go, oh my gosh, that had to undo the enemy this troop of people riding at them with these, you know, crests on their helmets and wings out behind them and swinging a sword and being Hungarian didn't make anything go well for the, in that case, the Muslims um I think they were involved in this uh, uh, Siege of Vienna. Look it up, look it up. Why did I, why did I bring, bring, bring that up? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, I saw a cartoon a long time ago. Um, there's a crusader with a spear and there's a, guy, a Muslim on the ground and the spear is being held to the Muslim's chest and the Muslim is saying, tell me about this Jesus Christ of yours. I find him strangely compelling. Well, we know that bringing about the obedience of faith is not you grabbing someone as he's coming out of the bar and threatening to beat him into a jelly unless he believes in Jesus. You can make someone obey you by force. Can you make an idea come to someone by force? I, I personally don't think so. I don't think that authority has the ability to command the obedience of an idea. But isn't that what faith is? It's a claim. I was thinking about it. Now, I've been in some discussions recently with some friends. Uh, Drew will come over, and Kenny will come over, and John Hill will come over, and we'll talk about things we probably shouldn't be allowed to talk about, but we're making some progress. I've been thinking about some things lately, and I was looking at this phrase and thinking, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. The Christian life, the righteousness of the Christian life is the obedience of faith. In other words, instead of the obedience of the law, we have the obedience of faith that that James supports. And, you know, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. My works, my Christian works, are a result of my faith. That's why, and I think here, could be wrong, that the obedience of faith for the sake of his name is that God has wanted to bring righteousness into the world that he intended to have in the world when he created the world. We messed it up because of our sins, and now we as Christians are finding our way back that the righteousness of God can be lived in this world because of our faith. Now, it's it's got a lot of other good things involved in it. There's a lot of good promises made to Christians about forgiveness of sins and life eternal. There are good things that we can be caught up in that are part and parcel of our salvation. We sometimes forget that God wants to get something out of this too. I don't know if it's just our modern uh, quality. Have you ever been watching the news and You're looking at somebody commenting on a financial aspect, and it sounds like they think jobs exist to produce jobs for people. Jobs exist so that someone can make money. Usually the guy who owns the company. He'd like to employ you so he could make money off of your work. And we get mixed up sometimes thinking that we are the, you might say, the object, the direct object of all of this effort. God loves us, that's true. Christ died for us, that's true. You get forgiveness of sins, that's true. Life eternal, yes, you get that too. And so it's it natural that we stop to think that we're not, we're just a broken little pieces of sinful um, silliness and God saves us from ourselves. And we it's a good thing to be thankful for. But we don't think that we're here to do something, here to figure something out, here to be a prophet to the client. We think we're the client rather than the product. This is his church. We are God's beloved. For the sake of his name, his gospel, his son, he is trying to bring the righteousness about on earth, and the obedience of faith for the sake of his name to all the nations, among all the nations. That somehow what's, got, what's happening in we, us as Christians ought to be a faith process that produces a righteousness unlike that which the world is seeing. Most of the righteousness the world will offer you is righteousness through whatever pack of rules your particular group issues you. And God is willing to say, if you just believe the correct things, truly believe the correct things, it will shape you. All of you say, I don't believe that. I mean, that's really, really? Just believe? Well, that's what made you what you are now. Say you're not here, say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not really pleased with my life. I know I should be doing differently ever ask yourself why you are not pleasing God now don't list the things you did that are not pleasing to God, do that in confession but why why are you not pleasing God well actually you believe something different about God than God once believed about him you believe something different about you than God wants you to believe about you, you believe something else about your family, your parents, your spouse your job, then God wants you to believe. You have a set of faiths. You went around cobbling it together in some harebrained way, thinking that you just, yeah, we just pick up life. And you just picked up loose pieces that were sitting around. And then you lived by them. Your your, your mind, I'm going to say something, this is part of what some of us have been talking about, I don't want to confuse you, nor make you fall into some existential angst uh, about life, but you don't have anything, nothing that isn't absolutely the subjective results of your apprehension of life. You only have what you think you see. Everything you think is out here is what you think you're seeing. I think you're out there and I think I'm seeing you and we get together in these moments as societies to prepare notes about what we think we're seeing and when it gets really refined it becomes science right? you'll you'll start measuring out things in a very acute way most of us just get together and say that car was blue, right? yeah it was blue we all agree it was blue but when you stop and realize that that's all you actually have Everything you are is your measurement, the actualization of what you believe to be true in this world. When someone does something harebrained, they hold my beer, watch this. They don't think they're going to be hurt. They think they're impervious to being hurt. They think all sorts. They will do amazing things. By faith, everything we do, we do by faith because we see a world, we think we understand that world, we build it into an, a, in a, a thing, and then we live in that world that we think we've built out of reasonable apprehensions of life. Now, what we're called to be as Christians is we're called to indifferent message altogether. We are told that some dead Jew in the first century was God Almighty. Process that for a moment. You know, the Mormons have a lot of weird beliefs. But just a bit to the next one you talk to, I said, look, you're my brother in weirdness. You're not a Christian, but you're my brother in the weird, because we, you know, Scientology... Mormonism, Christianity, you can't beat what we're we're saying, for weird. God, maker of heaven and earth, born on this earth into a poor Jewish family, maybe middle class, middle class Jewish family, killed, and then a religion following him springs up, and you're part of it. You can understand why secularists look at Christians and go, what a bunch of fanciful. We're all living in a fancy, everyone, the sociologist, you. The question is, is your fancy the ultimately true fancy, that which God sees? Reality is what God sees in his world. Do you see it, what he sees? It's the gospel of God. Is this what God asked you to look at and asked for you to acknowledge? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow... By God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, as I thought this, back when the obedience of faith came across my, my mind about, uh, it's, a, it's a path we take in the faith that offers us a revision. when it's, we always, I always quote that Romans 12 passage, you are transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is what faith is, is you exchanging your faith that the world gave you. I'm going to trust Google. I'm going to trust Tesla. I'm going to trust, who's, who's old school, uh, GE? Who do we trust? Doctors? Lawyers? Trust them. We've got all sorts of faiths that we're expressing. And at some point, at at the well of that, is the faith you have in you and your perception, your ability to put it together. And then you realize that you're a sinner. You realize that you're evil. You know you shouldn't be. You realize there is a God. Someone declares to you the gospel, and it goes, that makes perfect sense, and you believe it. Our faith is something that you came to, I'm, I'm not trying to equate it with a propositional claim of truth or falsity, that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, but I don't believe Thor is. Okay? I deny Thor, and I believe in Jesus. I don't think that's the kind of belief we're talking about, in either the secular faith or the Christian faith. There's a faith that you believe to be true down to the well of your being that moves how you react to the world. It defines your loves. It defines what you're membered with. It defines what groups you belong to because it's real faith. And what we have in the Christian church, the reason we're here in the same room, why did a small group of people, because we've always been a small group of people, Uh, 30 years ago started getting together every Sunday finally rolled the dice 11 years ago and bought this building for such a small group of people we've been faithfully paying off the note well because we really want to be together not because we share a theology because we don't I've been in enough discussions with enough of you that you look at me like, Evan has some pretty weird ideas, which I'm not going to sign on to. That's fine. But we have Christ, and we know there's enough in Christ that we do and want to agree with that our discussions together, our time fellowshipping, is that encouragement to give each other some spiritual gift and to be strengthened by you, be given other spiritual gifts back but it's encouraged by each other's faith. Your confidence of how you live is your confidence, the growing confidence you have that what you know is known by you. You probably have used this phrase before, you know, the the old Roman thing, I think Juvenal said it at least, if not many others, know thyself. And... Oddly enough, you probably think that's an automatic, that you know yourself, but you don't. And as you start to think about it this afternoon, you're going to go, Oh yeah, I really don't know what's going on here, I don't know who I am, I don't know where I am in the cosmos. We need a lot of help in establishing ourselves in the faith of that which is true. We believe that when we heard the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God in his son Jesus Christ, that we had heard the truth. We bowed the knee. And now we get together with others who have done that so that our faith can mutually encourage one another. Because some of you are further along, some of you are bringing up the rear. Whatever the case, you are learning more. You're recommending books to each other. You you get together in the women's fellowship to encourage one another. And it's not merely the emotional pat each other on the hand and, and say, isn't this fine being Christians? We are encouraged in the faith is an impartation of something. When he says it of himself, I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Because all that you believe is what makes you who you are. How you react, how you speak, do you love when you should love, do you have patience when you should have patience, do you you rejoice when you should rejoice, that's all rooted in whether or not something has been imparted to your faith that your definition of your world, your assessment of what is going on, is this, that of St. Paul's. And the more we share time together talking about the things of God, the more we explore the paths that we... I was talking to Caius a couple weeks ago about that life is a scientific experiment. You're living in the midst of the... This doesn't have real clear measurements and we're not in a Petri dish or anything like that, but this is all your measured accounting of that which is. How you doing on measuring this for what it is? Did your God make this? Does your Christ have anything to do with this? Don't just look at the rules that tell you to love people and think you could turn around without having the faith that he is God of gods that information will inform your ability to love somebody. I want you to know, brethren, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And this is the great statement, verse 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, he through faith is righteous, shall live. That is such a loaded, popularly quoted, almost up there with John 3.16. For God so loved the world. The gospel we preach is the gospel of God's salvation and righteousness for everybody that lives. The reason it is, is because the righteousness of God was revealed through faith. And this is where it gets a little weird, kind of back to that phrase, the obedience of faith. Once you start thinking about the obedience of faith as the obedience that comes from believing the right thing, The righteousness of God is revealed through faith. That's what you say. I want the righteousness of God in my life. That's what Paul argues in Romans 7. He loved the law of God with his inmost being. He wanted the righteousness of God, but he didn't believe in Jesus Christ. So he was busy killing Christians because he wanted righteousness, but he did not have the faith in that which was true. The revelation of the righteousness of God is through faith. Now, the interesting thing is that it goes through faith for faith. Is that just Paul running up the score on sounding religious? For the moment, try not to think of faith as a substantial, actual thing that sits like a brick in you. I have got faith. It is what you hold to be true. It was the righteousness of God was revealed to you initially. You were not a believer, you were worshipping Apollo, or whoever you were into. Someone preached the gospel downtown Rome. You heard it, and it made sense to you, everything you had seen in life. You've never heard of this Semitic God before, but here this Jesus the Christ is being preached by that strange man and it makes complete sense. And it's the righteousness of God that it reveals. God dying, God himself dying for the sin of man. That makes sense for the sin of man. You ever wonder how bad people get? It's It's pretty bad. It's always been bad even when they have those wings on their armor. It's just bad. And you wonder, does any really all the other religions are out there going, well, here's a little list of things you could do to make things better. See, no, you don't understand how bad it's gotten. You don't understand how bad people are. And God of the Christian faith comes to you and says, okay, Let me just tell you this. I'm going to become a human being so you can kill me because it's that bad. Not so you can kill me because I deserve it because I'm the evil one. No, because you need to have someone die for you that will be powerful enough in their death, their sacrifice. If you died for you, that's only what you deserve. God dies for you. Complete altruism. Substitution. And he conquers death. That's one of the great things about the atonement is the Christus Victor aspect. That the evil ones killed Jesus Christ thinking they had dealt with it but all they did is nursed a viper to their bosom basically. Let's invite the Son of God into Sheol and see what happens. The gates of hell will not prevail against him. We have Finally, in Christ, a religion that seems to understand just how bad we are. And seems to have reacted with that degree of sensibility. Because the righteousness of God is revealed to us in faith. Through faith. And it's for faith. As I was looking at it today... I was looking at this obedience of faith revealed through faith, and then for faith. Because other times I read through that and go, I don't understand what he's saying. But once I realized that faith is this building of encouragement, knowledge, strengthening—it's impartable. As you go through a discussion with a friend, say, or, Having a beer and cigars with, that's how we do it. But beer and cigars with some friends talking about the nature. We've been talking recently about the nature of uh, the triune nature of man, and uh, we're supposing things. We know we're looking at the scriptures in a different and fresh way, but uh, we're going after the faith we have is through the, is 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 for this other faith. The task of believing more. That's what you're doing. When you get up in the morning, when you're a baby, how old do you have to be before things start to come into focus? When you can focus on something? Let's not ask mentally. Uh, Let's ask visually. Anybody know when babies have that kind of. I thought with the amount of mothers in here, you probably studied up this. One month? or four months. Okay, thank you. Um, and then you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out if what you're seeing is actually really there. We're always adapting our knowledge of what is with what we have just seen, what we've just added. And Christianity is no different than your whole life because you just changed your whole axis of being from being about me, about serving my own interests and my own urges, which is what makes the world so evil, to bowing the knee before a God who died for that sin. I believed in him, and through that faith, I was offered up to this other path of faith where encouragement, teaching, growing in grace, growing in the knowledge of the word of God, because you're defining the faith of your world. You're defining what you believe in. The more that world becomes defined, this is why Christians do argue about things of a, you know acute theological nature, is because it matters what you believe. Some people are optimistic about eschatology, some people are pessimistic about eschatology. You're either post-millennial or dispensational, and it affects you what you believe it's not merely that one of them may be true They're, they both be wrong, one of them could be true um, but just because I believe say in a post-millennial tribulation not post-millennial tribulation pre-millennial tribulation doesn't mean if the world is actually going to end post-millennially this can be any different for me But my beliefs about it shape my emotion and my character. What I believe about Christ, what I believe about the gospel, what I believe about the trinity, what I believe about the church, what I believe about all the things that we get into arguments about with other Christians, the reason we do is a sort of an admission that this kind of matters. But it should matter to your righteousness. That should be the dipstick you should put in at the end. My father would always say, when someone came to him and many people did come to him and try to convince him of theology he did not agree with and so my father's natural reaction looking at them would be how has this doctrine made you more like the Lord Jesus Christ because that is what our doctrine is supposed to do it's the righteousness of God revealed through faith what you're collecting about the nature of God and man in the universe is to make you good Because every other belief made us bad. He quotes out of Habakkuk here. He who through faith is righteous shall live. That's out of Habakkuk 2. I have it on the left hand side if you want to read the immediate context. Paul quotes this a couple times, uh, Galatians and here in Romans. The writer of Hebrews quotes it in Hebrews 10, which I have here at the bottom. I want you to be thinking a little differently. The, The quote is different each time it's used. But if you think about faith, the doctrine of your belief, the nature of what you hold to be true, looking out your eyes, hearing with your ears, considering that the cosmos is built this way that is your faith how deeply you believe it how singularly you believe it and how correct is the thing you believe your righteousness will depend on that who you are you say well you know I actually don't like myself a whole lot well you know it's what you believe We are made righteous. The righteous are made righteous through faith. And it's not because you traded in this, this chunk of believism, fightyism, for God's righteousness that was also substantial and in a chunk. People who believe that, that peace is a substantial thing or love is a substantial thing. These are reactions. These define... Not a substance, but the shape of you. The more we learn of our God, the more we see. The more the terrain is filled in of what God is doing in his world. You standing in his righteousness becomes an automatic I have to believe something else to stand in unrighteousness. I actually have to believe that I could get away with it or that it that is really worth serving me for the moment. You have to believe something untrue to be wicked. Now, Hebrews 10. And I brought this in because he quoted the Habakkuk portion. Um, you can look at the Galatians, Galatians uh, 3, I think, somewhere. If you look at the other quotation of it. The writer of Hebrews says, For you have need of endurance, so that you may do the will of God and receive what is promised. Okay, he's up against persecution. You've got to get through this life. Some of you are getting through, trying to endure more. Some of you have got a a better gig. Well, those who have to endure need to know they're able to do the will of God. That's what the the Romans uh, twelve passage. You renewed by the, transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God. Uh, What is good, acceptable, and perfect when you are informed in your faith, when you have shared your faith with one another, when you have pursued the teaching of the scriptures or the growth of the, the, the fellowship together about the things of God. Not just giving each other hugs when you need them. That's not the faith. That's, not, that's cheap fellowship. Fine, fellowship that way if you want to hug each other. But it's really passing on more about our God, more about the nature of reality, If we have this need to endure, to receive what was promised, yet for a little while, and the coming one shall come and shall not tarry, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Also quoting from Habakkuk 2. He doesn't want people who don't stand up to it. And when you don't stand up to it, you believe something else than Christianity. You believe it's important that you stay alive. You believe it's important that you not suffer. You believe it's important all other things that you have measured in the universe. You did not believe Jesus was the Christ. Well, you could still be a Christian. You could be building on it with wood, hay, and stubble, as was read in the in the passage this morning. The righteous one shall live by faith. We are not, verse 39, of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and keep their souls. The task of knowing more about God, the task of being through faith, for faith, the obedience of faith, is that you are building up in your fellowship, whatever Christians you get together with, however frequently, you're thinking of the things of God, speaking of the things of God, because it matters I made a little comment somewhere in the notes about being one eyed people in a world of blind people which is a great place to be but you want to be not just one eye everyone else is functioning as if they don't know completely clueless and Christians start to know, they start to realize what is and an old Christian, and all of you are going to be God permitting, an old Christian someday is going to be a great resource to the younger christians to encourage them to impart some spiritual gift to them but everything that we see we want to hear those impartations we, we i don't do this because i'm not young but many people just go out to youtube and watch videos of what other people have seen about what other people have done even how they make things you know or fix things it's amazing the resource, the, the, the abundance of other people's vision. You are together as a body to share the vision you have of Jesus Christ and his world. So that you know that what you've been thinking about a certain passage of scripture is going to be beneficial in faith because we are all living by faith and are made righteous by faith. Now I, I have this, I wanted to go to the Hebrews 10 passage and I will end here. Say you better evidence it. at the bottom of the page. I end it here because when you move to Hebrews ten, it's right at the end of chapter ten. We keep our souls by living by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And then remember, there are no chapters or verse markings in the original. The next line is now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old received divine approval. We often think that since we think that faith and hope and love are all substance, God looks to see if they've got the substance of faith in you, enough of this gooey, you know, slime that somehow exists in you, and God wants to know, do you have enough faith? I approve of you because you have enough faith. No, it's a measure of what you hold to be true. Without reference to any other claim of truth, you have made certain denials, you've made certain claims. Is Jesus the Christ? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your lips that he is Lord? You shall be saved. Everything you are is the end result of what you were assured of And what you're convicted of. Things not seen, things you can't prove, things are all occurring in your cerebral gray matter up there. There's the impressions of the signals you got, and you're trying to make sense of your world. What have you come to assurance of? Who do you share that time with, and who do you talk with about that assurance? What kind of conviction do you have? Because by it, we receive divine approval. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Lead us into this new year seeking your approval by seeking a knowledge of your world. Top to bottom, side to side. From the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows from the wall, Lord, we would ask that you would help us see. And be sharing that with one another, sharing the most inane wonder of your word to the greatest beneficial thing we have seen in your word or in the world around us. We'd ask that we would be an encouragement, be able to impart, to really fellowship in your faith, that what we have through faith would be leading us to more faith in more of the things you've revealed. Build our righteousness, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen.